This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is July 7th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, my name is Ross Mitchell, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 1965 to 1970. And what shows or programs did you work on at WVHC? Well, that's kind of hard to answer because I was uh, an engineer. I was too young when I came to the station to be an announcer. Um, and I worked on, uh, well, I guess I worked on the weekend shows mostly. My regular shift was on Saturdays from uh, 12 o'clock until, I can't remember. I think it might have been till, it might have been the whole six hours. The station was on from 12 to 6 on the weekends. Okay. Um, did you have any titles or positions at the station? kid <laughs> you know i was 13 when i when i got there so um uh i was the guy who was constantly um on the verge of being fired for <laughs> a number of years and jeff kraus was the guy who was coming in and saving me each time okay well well let's let's get right to it because you mentioned starting at the station at 13 so the question is two parts, but answer uh, as, as you like. So what was it that first brought you to the radio station? And then if you could blend in, for those of us who weren't there, what was the station like and, and who did you meet when you first got there? Sure. Um, well, what brought me to the station was I had this idea in eighth grade that I could somehow start a radio station, my own radio station. And I would call the FCC from lunch at Levittown Memorial High School and uh, talk to them about, you know, uh, this dream I had. And uh, at one point he, he asked me how old I was and I told him I was 13. And I asked him if, is there a law against, uh, you know, is there an age restriction for starting a radio station? He said that, uh, well, actually there wasn't. Uh, but the idea fell apart when uh, he told me I would have to have a, a survey done in order to find a, an available frequency. And he told me it would cost $1,000 at least to do that, which to me was, you know, like saying a million dollars. But then he said, well, you know, you, you, you could maybe get into uh, uh, college radio. You could get some experience. And he suggested I call a Fordham, WFUV and Fordham. And I did. And they... I called them up and they said, well, we'd be happy to have you, but, but uh, it's a long way from Long Island. Why don't you call Hofstra? So the same day I called Hofstra and uh, Jeff Krause answered the phone and uh, he invited me to come in. So I took a bus and um, a very intimidating but very kind person uh, met me and uh, interviewed me for this job. And then... Uh, told me he would hire me. And so from then on, I was able to go to the station and um, learn the, you know, learn the job. Wow. I have so many questions so far, but let's, let's start with this. Um, what was it that attracted you to radio and made you want to start your own station? That's, that's, you didn't necessarily want to work for another station. You wanted to start your own. I don't know. I don't know why I do the things I do. It was just something that seemed like it'd be really cool <laughs> having my own radio station. So, you know, 
I just, I tend to be impulsive. I still am. I, I do the things that I love to do. I feel like I've not really worked ever in my life, but, but I've always made a living because I've always been fortunate enough to be able to do things that, that really, uh, really thrilled me. And uh, being at Hofstra's radio station was one of those things. So were you listening to particular radio stations that, that caught your attention or was there a sound or a style that you were attracted to at the time? No, <laughs> I mean, at WABC, I'll say that once I got, once I got to, uh, to Hofstra, um, I was a, you know, an, a big fan of WABC even, even before. And, um, I have actually a number of stories about going into the city and, being a kid, I, I could sometimes get into places with easier than, than grownups. And I used to hang out at the, uh, Dan Ingram's show. Um, and I visited also with uh, other disc jockeys like Bob Lewis when they were at 1926 Broadway before they had the, uh, the ABC building on 6th Avenue. And um, I just kind of liked the whole milieu. Um, the next question from the first part of your story, and, and this will amaze many of us, is that you called the FCC on the phone and a human being answered and had a conversation with you as a 13-year-old. That seems pretty amazing. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, amazing what people will do if you just ask them. Um, I mean... It wouldn't have been nice to hang up on me. I was very polite. Uh, and I was asking, you know, what I guess probably sounded like reasonable questions. It was just the fact that they were coming out of the, uh, out of the mouth of someone whose voice hadn't changed. Um, so uh, what ended up, I ended up actually spending a fair amount of time at the FCC because uh, as uh, many of the listeners know, and many of the people who were engineers during my time, you needed to have a, an FCC license in order to take meter readings. And so, uh, in fact, I, I think I told you before uh, when we were communicating by email that today is a very special day in my 13-year-old uh, mind because it's July 7th. And on July 7th, 1965, I got my third class radio telephone operator permit with broadcast endorsement <gasps> and uh, was very uh, excited about that apparently i still am that that must have been quite a moment is that the day that you took the test or is that the day that you got your license no that's the date on the license itself which unfortunately i i've lost somewhere i've never never found it but i always considered it kind of an important day in my life because i was a fcc approved radio engineer you know and i was uh, excited to be able to to do uh to take the meter readings because i couldn't really have a shift if I couldn't take meter readings. You had to do that every half hour and I needed the license to do it. And it was fun um, to, I mean, it wasn't a hard test. I think it, it was either 10 or 20 questions uh, and they were uh, basically all regulatory questions. You didn't need to know anything technically. Um, but, you know, the idea of, of having, that, uh, having that test to study for. And then I remember being on the Long Island Railroad on my way in to take the test. And, this is kind of a big deal for me. I, I should I should say so. Um, that's that's a very remarkable uh, beginning 
to your radio career there. Um, I'd like to get back, uh, if possible, to your first couple of conversations with Jeff Krause. And you said you called the radio station and Jeff answered and invited you to come to the station, which uh, I, I'm guessing was, I don't know if the whole operation, the offices and the studios were underneath the little theater. But um, if you could tell me a little bit about no, uh, that experience. That's, um, yeah, that was really uh, something that I have a, a very vivid memory of because uh, as other people have told you, Jeff was a very imposing person. Um, and I remember him saying to me, um, you know, I was, he said, well, young man, you're 13, I'm 27. And he said that with all the gravitas of someone <laughs> who was, who you know, you know, 50 or 55 or whatever. But when you're 13, 27 sounds like 50 or 55. And I was very impressed. And he, um, he interviewed me in Studio A. There was a table on which, uh, you know, there was a microphone and a cough key. And I remember he wore, he wore uh, cowboy boots and he smoked a pipe and he stretched out his legs and put them up onto the, uh, onto the table as I'm doing now in, uh, in honor of Jeff and, um, and uh, started puffing on his pipe while he asked me, peppered me with questions, uh, none of which I remember. But I do remember at the end uh, ending up with, uh, with the opportunity to work at the station. What, um, what I also remember is uh, the station at that time was on from 6 p.m. till midnight uh, on weekdays. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, from noon to 6 p.m. on weekends. So I used to come in in the afternoon and I used to play on the board and, uh, and teach myself, uh, you know, disc jockeying. And uh, I remember I, I would, I would uh, this, we weren't on the air, but I, I would announce the Ross Mitchell rock party and I would play all these rock songs. And every now and then, if it got a little bit too raucous or too loud, then I would hear Jeff yell out <clears throat> from the front, keep it down in there. <laughs> but, but, but what amazes me as an adult is that he let me do that. That's what, you know, this recurring thing about, uh, this recurring theme about Jeff Krause is what a mentor he was. And uh, for me, he was, he was that in spades. He was one of, you know, there have been a, two or three people in my life and he was the first. And uh, he remains an important influence in my life. I think it's such an interesting role that, or multitude of roles that Jeff had. And as a relatively young man, I mean, you, you joke about, you know, the gravitas of a 27-year-old, but here's this, this relatively young man running this station and trying to put on a professional broadcast with college age and apparently middle school age uh, people and being a teacher and being a mentor and being uh, an inspiration. I, I find it um, quite amazing that this person could fill all these roles uh, and, and pretty much single-handedly uh, get the station up and going. Well, when you were at the station, Jeff was still there? Yes. Yes. And my first two years before he passed. 
And what was your experience then, what, which was where he, he really was a 50-year-old at that point? Uh, yes, he would have been in his early 50s, but appeared to be, again, to an 18-year-old, uh, older. And he, he had the pipe, uh, although I'm not sure, I think still at that point, he could smoke the pipe in the office. But his hair was silver and, and the beard and, and the voice. And I, I was very intimidated and convinced that he was going to, you know, take a broom and, and shoo me away and tell me not to come back. But at the same time, when I did have questions and when we did uh, have concerns, he was always very encouraging um, and supportive. But you had to you had to earn it. You had to uh, prove that he should put his uh, his energy into what you were doing or, or give his assent to try something out. So, mm-hmm. um, but I, that's, that's something that again, as a 53 year old who's been in the business for a long time, you would assume they would, they would have that, but here's a 27 year old with, uh, this collection of radio people, uh, and, and making a thing happen. I think it's, yeah. I think it's amazing. Well, you know, he didn't have the beard, uh, for my interview, but uh, he stroked his chin as <laughs> as he. I don't know why I remember this. It's probably because it marked me, I guess. Um, so he had all that, but you know, I just want to say a little more about Jeff because I, when I was sixteen, I I was uh, I did summer summer stock as a uh, an apprentice in Pennsylvania, and um, a girl I knew there. Her father owned the local radio station. And I wanted to do some work at that station. And Jeff wrote me a, a, a letter of recommendation. It was the kindest thing. And he wrote something about me, which I don't know how often he used this expression, but he referred to me in this letter as a reasonable perfectionist. Wow. So, uh, you know, when working, he, it was a reasonable perfection when working with sound and, uh, uh, and, and uh, music and special effects, I think was the rest the rest of the sentence. It was that um, the way he had time for everyone to, uh, it really is, I, I mean, I was completely unable to see this when I was experiencing it because I didn't, I didn't even really know uh, what, it, what it meant to have a mentor. So he was a mentor without my knowing it. And it seems to be, that seems to be the common thread I hear from, from everyone. Gary, by the way, was uh, Gary Armstrong was a program director when uh, when Jeff was station manager when I when I came down those those doors. Jerry, Gary um, was another one who was uh, very kind to me. What was what was your early interaction with Gary like? I had the good honor to uh, to interview him, and the the man can spin a yarn. The man the man can can talk. Um, what was he like as a young man, as, as program director of the station? He was, I only have, um, a couple of memories of him. Um, and again, he was, he was kind. He wasn't trying to get rid of me. You know, you have to understand I was, I'd gotten out of eighth grade and I was going into ninth grade when there was a whole crew of freshmen coming into, to, uh, Hofstra and to the radio station. And these kids, you know, they felt like they were grownups or they wanted to feel like they were grownups. And they didn't much like there being a kid there 
who was doing what they were doing and who uh, kind of interfered with that uh, with that sense of themselves. So there was a there was a lot of kind of of friendly hostility, if mm. that makes sense. Um, and I had some protectors, and the main protector was Jeff, and Gary was also someone I believe he could. He'll tell me now after he hears this whether how he remembers this. Maybe he has a different recollection. But these were the these were the people. There were other people who were very kind to me. Sue Ronneberger, Ted Ronneberger, who was uh, I think he was chief engineer when I when I came in. He he was uh, <laughs> he he was very kind. Can I tell you a story about something that happened that I please that I that please. I did and how Teddy reacted. Um, I had I had learned that um, you could we had these Ampex tape machines and and you could rewind the tapes um, and have better control if you would alternate between rewind and uh, and fast forward and never hit stop because you could break the tape um, and somebody had shown me how to do that and um, uh, I said and I assumed that you know now that I know it nobody else does uh, and I and I said to Teddy Teddy let TR, we call them TR. I said, TR, let me show you this cool new new way I learned to, to rewind tapes. And I started it, and unfortunately, I picked the tape that was on the air. So, in the, so in the middle. So for years after that, uh, every time uh, TR would have an opportunity, he'd say, "So, uh, you got a new way to rewind tapes for us?" And um, but yet, yet never. Uh, never was uh, uh, hostile or cruel or was always, always helpful. There's another thing that annoyed people about my presence there was uh, um, I, after, after um, that summer, my family moved to Huntington and I would hitchhike from Huntington to Farmingdale and I catch a bus to uh, Hofstra. And I used to, and I had a standard line. I used to say to people at the end of my shift, I'd say, or the end of the evening, cause I'd hang around does anybody want to uh, want a free tour of scenic Huntington, which became something, something of a joke. Um, mm. So, uh, but I got some rides from Teddy as, and from, and from other people. I, I, I meant to ask this earlier, but we were, we were talking about Jeff and his, his youthful appearance. As you showed up at 13, were you, did you look your age? Did you look a little younger or older? I mean, obviously college freshmen are going to size you up as a little bit younger, but. Yeah, I was, uh, I actually looked younger uh, than my age. Um, I did. One of the other things I did was when I was 14, I I got to to do some modeling at the Sears catalog and um, I got fired because I looked too young. So I'm sure I'm sure I, I they hired me again in my senior year, but by then it was you know, too late to to uh, to be popular with the girls. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, I think that that was part of it. I mean, because I I didn't consider myself a kid, even though other people surely did. So I, I got, and I did get to hang out a lot. You know, is Bill's Meadowbrook still there? There was a place uh, called. I don't, I don't think so. I've heard it mentioned a few it, times. It but... was a bar. It was a bar next to the station, and and everybody would go there in in the evenings. And you know, the drinking age was eighteen, and nobody really cared about whether kids were around. 
and so I would sometimes get to go with them. Um, but again, I mean, it was, uh, it wasn't, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like, you know, I was constantly dealing with hostility. I wasn't, um, I just got my, I got into trouble, you know, cause I would do things like rewind tapes on the air, as I mentioned, and other things, not necessarily technical that would uh, give people an opportunity to say, why do we, why do we have this kid working here? So let's, let's go back to getting started at the station. Um, you express this interest in radio. You make these phone calls, you take the bus across Nassau County to get there. But I'm, I'm assuming you didn't have any experience in doing anything in radio. How did you learn the ropes? How did you, were there classes or was it just observation and practice? Yep. Yeah, there were no classes back then. I was a ham radio operator, but I don't think that that's relevant to, you know, broadcast radio. Although I, I, w- I mean, I was aware of, uh, you know, transmitters and knew Morse code for what it was worth. Um, but you learned on the job. And so when I, when I learned by listening to your podcast, um, just how formalized everything uh, became over the years, I was... Uh, when I think about it, I wasn't surprised because of something that became as successful as the station is now, um, thanks in large measure to Bruce Avery. I mean, it did, mm-hmm. I mean, it's tremendous what he's done. Um, but back then, I I learned by annoying Jeff uh, during the day when it was my little Ross Mitchell rock party. Yeah. Do you so, want to know so about you... format? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to know a little about format? I think it's pretty funny. Um, yes, yes, please. Because back then, <laughs> I'll give you the subtle distinction. You could play on the, on the air. See, the grown-ups ran this, the, the, this, the college back then. Students were not, you know, dictating. And uh, Jeff uh, b- believed that rock and roll was, you know, not an appropriate uh, kind of music for the station. Um, so you could you could play Simon and Garfunkel's version of um, The Sounds of Silence, but only the folky version, not the one that had the electric guitar, for example. That was a a distinction that was made. Uh, And so there wasn't any, I remember when I first heard rock and roll on the station and it was some breakthrough. And I I think I I might have already been gone by then for all I know. Um, So, uh, it was it was a very conservative place. Um, I still do one of Jeff's promos for to annoy my wife. Um, well, please was, annoy us with it. Then. You want to hear this? Okay. I do. Sure. <clears throat> All right. This is a. You like good music, a little upbeat maybe. Hey, don't you know? Don't you know that I love you? Tempered with some slow, of course. Take a little Tony Bennett, Pete King Corral, blah, 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 and your requests, and you've got music for a Sunday afternoon. The show starts at 3. Your host is Bob Ring. Music for a Sunday afternoon from WVHC. Fine music. So that was kind of the farty station that it was. Uh, <laughs> I like the upbeat maybe hey don't you know don't you know that's that's know what... that's uh that's great um so so I don't know if the 
this program would have been on it uh, that there's an evening rock program or, or contemporary music program called changes was that what was going on at night or was that later on uh yeah no i don't i don't remember that uh, I, I think it was probably uh, after uh, after my time, and then of course I wasn't you know there for everything. It was things changed in '67, I believe it was when they were going to shut down the station, um, and uh, you know the uh, association with the Hempstead uh, Public Schools uh, saved the station. And by the way, Clifford Lord, who was the president of Hofstra um, at the time. He donated. We had a fund, and we stayed on the air. We had a marathon. Um, I had like a four a.m. shift, I believe it was. From that. But um, uh, he donated a hundred dollars to the station. So once he donated, we knew he didn't want us to cease to exist. Um, and then um, there's an, another interesting thing um, about that time. I'm not really answering your questions, am I? Um, but I'm, I'm dumping out all this stuff that I want you to know about the station. Jeff orchestrated a protest in, in suits um, that every, everybody, because at the time it was, you know, kind of the quote unquote hippie uh, era where people were saying, oh, these protesters. And so his idea was there would be very respectful people uh, walking uh, in, a, in a line people wearing suits and uh, I think women wore dresses and it got onto the uh, New York news and, and the fact that it was done in such a respectful way also got onto the news. So, so this, this was sort of a call for support because the university was considering shutting down the radio station. Yeah. The university, my understanding is the university had actually decided to do that. Uh, And, uh, this was a, this was a response. I don't know how long uh, we stayed on the air. Um, it was it was weeks though, I believe. And then um, you know behind the scenes, the the deal with uh, Hempstead uh, took place, which which actually saved it. But I, I I don't think any of us ever considered that it was actually going to cease to exist. We just couldn't see how that could be, and uh, fortunately it. That didn't happen. It's kind of funny when you think about it, though, you know, that how valuable a, a frequency is now that they were just willing to throw it away. Yeah, it was certainly different times. And, and the impression that I got from, from many people over time, and even when I got there in the 1990s, is the university was much more interested in the TV side of the communications business than radio. And uh, Jeff had to sort of shepherd the station uh, through that, through some sort of mix of indifference and, and I don't know, not quite hostility, but that was, that was sort of his mission from, from that time up until, uh, up until his passing, I think. When did the, when did the TV, uh, I don't think there, there was no TV that I recall but back in 65, 66, there may have been, something but there wasn't you know there, there there wasn't the program that that you have now or anything approaching it do you know when that uh, when that began i i don't and and i almost feel a little bit worse now that we didn't have tv looking down upon us uh at the radio station it was just it was just indifference 
generally it wasn't it wasn't that they preferred another medium it's oh yeah they just oh didn't no prefer radio right no no it had nothing to do with uh tv the, as far as i know uh no it was you know there was just the radio station we were in the little theater and uh you know we didn't cost a lot of money but we probably didn't have that many people and they were probably looking at it you know just well how many people are actually involved in this and what does it cost and, oh we don't need that let's get rid of it i mean i don't know but it would seem to be reasonable, not understanding the value of the asset or what it could become or what they could, not having any vision for it. You know, the university, so, Jeff, of course, had the vision. Speaking of the number of people, about how many people you said, you said it was weekdays from 6 p.m. to midnight and weekends from, from 12 to 6. About how many people do you think were working at the station at the time? I'm not a good person to ask that because I wasn't in management but if I had to just, if you said you have to guess, I would just, I would say maybe 30, something like that. Okay. That might be, that might be high. Okay. Um, do you recall getting behind the board for the first time or your, or your feelings as you were getting, uh, once you had your license and you were, you were actually on the air instead of practicing, do you remember what it felt like to, uh, to be the person uh, controlling the station? Yeah, um, it. Uh, I don't remember the first time I was on the board. I would like to clarify something. I've heard people, uh, somebody talking about the Gates board. Mm-hmm. We, we had a brand. Uh, they told me it was a new Gates board, and it had these very big pots that were that, that were easy to turn. Um, but it wasn't the first board. There, there was a, another board that looked like a real board, but had smaller pots, and that was that was replaced by this this Gates board. Um, I remember we had the two turntables and um, we had the intercom to Studio A. I never knew, by the way, um, the, the, um, uh, what, what people are calling Studio B, and I guess it was Studio B. I used to just call it Master Control, which is what everybody else called it. But then the, the little studio off to your right when you were sitting at, at the board, that was called Studio C, so obviously... I must have been sitting in Studio Studio B. I remember that I was, um, I remember a number of things. We had something called a level devil, which was a, uh, uh, a device. It was, an, it was a device to you know, regulate the levels. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what it's called these days. Um, and, uh, it, and it broke and it was out of service for a long time. And we had to run a radio station with no gain control, AGC, I think it's, it's called automatic gain control. So you learn to, to ride uh, levels really, really well. Otherwise, uh, you know, you could overmodulate or you could not hear the music or it would just, just be uncomfortable for people to, to listen to. So I remember that that was, that that was it. And then uh, somebody else has talked to you about how there was only uh, – one cartridge machine at one point, and uh, I think it was Tom Curley talked about how fast he could uh, switch carts. And mm. I remember that thing, and I remember the big day that uh, two the, these two new cart machines came in, and the, the 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 one cart machine, which was an older technology, got relegated to third place. It was a big day at the station. So it seemed like there was always uh, a little bit of something going on at the station and not being on the campus every day. Um, 
it must have been interesting to come in for a weekend shift or to come in. Uh, I don't know if you came in on weeknights or, or perhaps during the summer. Uh, it must have been um, anticipatory. It's not really the right way, but but to walk in and, and say, well, oh, now there's new cart machines or now there's new this or, or, or new that. How was it keeping up with, with things when you weren't necessarily there every day? Well, I wasn't there every day, but I was there every week. And it was it was my social life, you know. As as these uh, young college students went through the years of college, I was going through the years of high school. So I felt kind of like I was having my own little college education without the without the classes. Um, so I, I, you know, I never felt you know disconnected or uh, you know or um, um, out of touch with whatever technology was uh, was was arriving. It wasn't arriving so often that, uh, that one needed to worry about that. Okay. Um, were there other people in your, your high school or your, 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 your hometown who were interested in what you were doing or was that just where they were two separate worlds? Uh, it, they were by and large two separate worlds, but I would take people, friends from high school, uh, with me sometimes. And in fact, I took the woman uh, who eventually became my wife 10 years after uh, we graduated high school, we re-met at our high school reunion. And uh, she remembers when I took her to the station one day. I took different people. I think I once took the prettiest girl in the school to the station. So it was it was worth something uh, to do that. I can't remember if it was Helene or not. But in any event, it was uh, uh, nobody. No, I mean, I was not a popular kid in high school because I wasn't into high school things, um, and um, so this was just another odd thing I did. However, in my senior year, um, I got a job on a station in Patchogue with WPAC, uh, and another station in Riverhead, WHRF, on the wharf in Riverhead, and. Uh, kids from my high school in my senior year apparently were listening to my show it was on in the evening. And I always said, if I had only, if there had only been a 13 year, 13th year of, uh, of school, I would have been really popular. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen though. Um, you, you mentioned a number of names earlier, uh, Gary Armstrong and, and Jeff Krause and Teddy Ronnenberger and Sue, um, who else were some folks that were around that were that were helpful and and maybe gave you good advice or were just just fun to sort of be around with? Uh, well, Jerry Landau was a, a guy. Who, I'm not sure if, uh, how many of your listeners know him. He's he's gone on to an illustrious career, I believe, in law. Um, and um, well, it's uh, what well, I'm trying to think now. Of course, I'm going to draw a blank because I'm worried about not saying, you know, people uh, that I should uh, obviously note. Oh, I remember um, Alan Combs. You remember Hannity and Combs? Mm-hmm. He worked at the station. He was 16 when he started, I believe, at the station. He had an amazing voice. So uh, it almost uh, seems as if um, the radio station was was crawling with teenagers. It wasn't quite that much. It was yourself and Alan. Were, was there anybody else in, at the high school age who who showed up at the station uh, at this time? 
Well, you've, you've heard about Rick Cohan. Ricky lived across the street on California Avenue from, from the Little Theater. And legend has it that he came in for the first time at age eight. I don't think, I think he swept up. I don't think they, he got to do technical duties. Um, there was Alan. I'm not a, aware of anybody else. Uh, there might have been other people, but I, it, was, it was not common to have somebody uh, in high school. But then once the Hempstead Public Schools got involved, I don't know what happened, the, you know, the problem. But it was it was different. I mean, I was really fortunate to be part of the uh, WVHC family. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how things evolved. Well, I, I think a lot of us who uh, especially are participating in this oral history project uh, found a home, found a community, found uh, some extension of, of family or, or whatever you want to call it uh, at the station. And it sounds like there were plenty of people who were um, supportive of you and perhaps there was some teasing, perhaps there was a, a bit of minor animosity, but it sounds like for the most part you were, you were welcomed in. Did you, did you feel comfortable right away at the station? Did it take some time to think that, okay, I'm, I'm here, or, or how did that go? No, I felt comfortable right away, and again, I credit Jeff for that. Um, I, I, you know, in retrospect, it's very easy to see um, what an influence and what a positive influence Jeff was. I hate, you know, we all, we all wax loquacious when we talk about Jeff, but he, he deserves it. You know, he's, a, he's human, you know, he, he had faults, um, but in terms of what he did for people and, you know, many, many, many people, over the years. And so I felt really comfortable at the station. I felt comfortable enough to have my own fake rock show in the afternoon while I played on the board. Um, I, th- I think you, you draw uh, an interesting connection uh, between the environment that Jeff Krause set up and then what eventually became WRHU and then uh, the community that, that Bruce Avery has been overseeing for the last 29 years, where uh, all sorts of people get to come in and to try things out in this environment, where it's very encouraging, but also there's rules, there's expectations, um, there's standards to have. And I think that's, that's one of the um, commonalities that I've noticed in talking to people throughout the generations. And uh, again, I just, I find it so um, interesting and, and, uh, noteworthy that again, as, as a young man in his twenties, however old he was playing to be that Jeff had this, this vision and this ability, um, to bring in folks like yourself and, and make the station into what it, what it became. Yeah, I, I agree completely. By the way, I, I, I just want to mention, uh, Mark Wiener as someone who is very, very instrumental also, um, in my feeling of acceptance at, at the radio station. And he and, I, he and I became friends as adults as well. And it was a, a great loss uh, when he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I'm sure other people will be talking to you about him as well. Yeah, I, after Mark's passing, that was one of the um, things that made me think about doing this project is that there are so many wonderful voices and so many characters and so many experiences that radio is the medium that it is, but the community um, it's, it would be nice to have the stories and the, and the voices to, to carry on for, for the future generations and for ourselves. 
uh, if we're being honest. What else? What else can you tell me about about Mark and and getting to know him? Well, Mark had a very, you know, kind of cynical, dry sense of humor, and um, he was always there to offer the um, the unexpected take on things. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard for somebody, if, if, if you don't know him, I mean, he's, uh, if you didn't know him, he, he, was, he was somebody, first of all, technically very, very strong, very creative, again, very kind, very successful, and, you know, in, in his work in, technolo- in technology, worked for CBS for many years, um, and uh, just a good guy, good guy, yeah. I miss him. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that that your your nickname around the station was Kid. Um, did everybody call you that? Was it was it all? Uh, did you recognize it as being in fun at the time? Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, I was the kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was an appropriate moniker. <laughs> you know, it was. Uh, I mean, it was. I mean, you got to understand. You know, they would, uh, for example, I had this shift on Saturday, right, at 12 o'clock. I couldn't time when I was going to get to the station. I knew I had to get there early enough. So, you know, if my hitchhiking slash, you know, uh, bus riding didn't work out. So I would show up and I'd have to wait. And sometimes it would be cold and the door would be locked. And, you know, I learned how to open the door with a a long stick of wood that I could stick my little 13-year-old our 14 year old arms through the door and then work this piece of wood on, on the, on the lock and then let myself in. And, you know, then whoever it was who had the key uh, would find me inside. So I was constantly sort of uh, pushing the envelope, I guess. And uh, so it wasn't surprising that, um, you know, that I was, uh, would, would have trouble. I, I mean, I never did anything intentionally, I mean, there was no good reason in my mind that I shouldn't have a key to the station after all. You know, I had a third-class radio telephone operator's permit with broadcast endorsement. I mean, I should have a key. So I would do things that, uh, you know, that represented how I thought I should be, uh, I should be treated. And sometimes I got into a, a little bit of trouble. But it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was on my third uh, strike, you know. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I, th- I think you've, you've alluded to your interest in, in, in the station and, and radio in general. And, and I don't know if this is a question that you can answer otherwise, but obviously if we're having this conversation so many years later, Hofstra radio meant something to you, uh, uh, was very important to you. Um, but as that 13 year old, um, what, what, what were you hoping this this place would be? What were you hoping to get out of this radio station? Oh, well, it was everything I wanted it to be. It was a radio station where I worked and I got to spin records and someday maybe I would be able to announce when I when my voice would change. Um, I, it was a trip. I mean, I we got lots of press. Uh, the... Uh, I answered the phone once that summer, and uh, it was the Long Island Press, uh, and and they could hear my voice, and they asked me how the woman on the phone asked me how old I was, and 
I told her and then they came down, did a story and uh, seen one of the scrapbooks, I think. And then other the news, they picked it up and the New York Times and all, all this stuff. For me, the whole thing was just a very exciting and, and great way um, to spend my life, you know. And I was not into school. I was not into, I, I should say, I was not into the cultural aspect of school. I, I wanted to hang out with grownups and uh, the station gave me a chance to, to do that. Wow, what an experience. Um, Ross, these stories have been uh, so entertaining and so interesting. I'm, I'm really so pleased that you, you took the time uh, to share them with me. I, I'm going to bet you've got more stories. Well, of course, but I don't even know if these, these could be terribly boring to everybody except for me, maybe you. I, you know? I no, I'm 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 grinning ear to ear, and I'm I'm on the edge of my seat the whole time, and 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 <laughs> I'm I'm really enjoying this and and getting a real picture of of what it was to be uh, um, unbelievably a high school student at at the station and helping it form into all the things that it became. That's that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this project is to collect all these stories to understand um, how the place became what it was. And, and, uh, I, I thank you so sincerely, uh, for taking the time. This has been, has been a, a lot of fun and I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for inviting me to, to have this chat with you. And, uh, I just want to say how much, uh, I appreciate the, the job you're doing. It's a wonderful job. I'm so happy to have now discovered it and I'm enjoying listening to, uh, you know, other, uh, interviews you've done. And I'm even going to move forward to beyond my time and see how the station evolved.